Well, what, what a special week it has been uh, for VBS to love on kids and to share the gospel. And uh, again, I, I want to encourage you as we look forward to this week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, as we launch out in our community and the school open houses and we're grilling out and, and, and just the opportunity to love and share the gospel with them. I just want to let you know we need you. Some of you may be thinking today that you're too old. I, I want you to know that you know more people likely in Greene County than most of us will ever even forget, right? I mean, the reality is you just know everybody. So I want to encourage you just to bring a lawn chair. We'll help hopefully have a canopy up, keep you under the shade. We would love for you just to come say hi, wave at people, people you know. You'll know their grandparents, maybe their great-grandparents, but you are a way that we can minister to this community. So you're not too old. I want you to know that you're not too young. We were reminded of that at our Changers Project. Emily had an opportunity to bring the kids by and our homeowner, and um, she was an, she's an older lady, and, man, we were trying to disconnect with her, and the moment that Pavey showed up, man, she just came out on that porch, and it was just right there. It was a reminder that God can use a two-year-old. So I want to let you know that unless you're, or if you're 100 or 2 or somewhere in between, we need you this week. All right, we need people, some of you, sun's out, guns out, we need you. We got heavy coolers to carry, water bottles to pack, grills to move, right? We can use your strength and where you are right now. We use some of you, right? You're just great at organizing and doing. We need your help. We need smiling faces of just sharing the love of Christ with this community and kiddos just like this. So we need you this week. And again, like Brother Todd just echoed, thank you to you that have served this week at VBS. It has been an absolutely great week. And, um, man, I, I am thankful. I know the Lord is at work. Salvation, no conversations have been happening about the gospel. And uh, we, we praise the Lord for those. This morning, we turn, continuing our time here as we work through the gospel of Matthew, to one of the more cha- challenging chapters of Matthew. Let's be honest with you. We're going to split it up. Next week, Tucky Changers will be here sharing. So, Changers folks, want to remind you, wear your T-shirts or crew, she- crew chief shirts. Um, and, and come next week sharing, hearing about changers. So I want to encourage you to be here with us. But uh, So we'll, we'll take Matthew 24 in two parts. The first part this week, and Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll, we'll pick up the rest of it. It's super challenging, right? But it's a great opportunity for us because we get to hear Jesus' disciples ask him a question that you've probably wondered. When will the world end? Right, like when's the end of the world coming? And so maybe just to give a little bit of context, and then we'll talk through it some more, let's just turn Matthew 24, let's, let's read the first three verses, just to give a little context to where we're going to be today. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, all right, and this is the question that kind of frames the rest of the chapter. So it's important to hear this, this question. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the question they really have is when and what, right? Great questions, questions you've probably asked before, right? When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The reality is the fulfillment of this prophecy, when the temple is torn down, happens about 40 years later in 70 A.D., right? The Roman army, under the, under the rule of Titus, who later becomes Caesar, right? He comes in and destroys the temple. And, and re- the reality is, I don't know if some of you may have been to Rome before, but right, there's an ark, ark that's made for Titus that's still standing today that commemorates when they came in and conquered Judea and Jerusalem, right? And so it's still there today and acknowledges that. But their question is, 
when will these things happen and what will be the end of the world? How will we know when the world is ending? That's what they're asking Jesus today, right? The truth is, this question played out, yes, 40 years later in the conquering of Jerusalem and, and, and the destru- destruction of the temple. But the reality is we're now 2,000 years later. So the truth is these end times are playing out, right? You may be wondering, well, when are the last days? Well, Peter actually says in Acts chapter 2 that these are the last days. So we've been in technically in the last days for 2,000 years. Peter there at the day of Pentecost, he proclaims that's happening, right? So for 2,000 years, we've been wrestling, seeing the world coming, following Christ, life, his death on the cross, burial, resurrection. He's, he's on the on the scene for a period of 40 days he ascends back into the heavens and in acts chapter 1 as he ascends up into the clouds two angels come and say this same jesus who you saw go will return the same way so there's a physical return of christ that we now await and so this speaks of the time between christ's ascension and when christ returns so that's what matthew 24 is wrestling with right and listen i just want to be really upfront with you 10 years ago i probably would have preached this text acting like i understood a lot better than i do The reality is, after more and more time of study, I realize that there are competing views that are compelling on both sides. They both, at times, or multiple views, have have their detractors and reasons why. They don't always stand up really well. But, man, there is a lot of good reasoning behind a lot of different views. And so I'm going to do my best today just to be as clear as I can, as faithful as I can, an opportunity at times just to say, hey, I'm not exactly sure, right? This is my best guess. But man, this is an exciting time, and what I want you to catch maybe most of anything is this, that there is wrath to come, but there is a rescuer. There's deception to come, and there's deception here now, but there's a truth to be held. And the rescuer for the wrath and the truth for deception all points to one and the same person, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross in our place, was buried, and the third day raised again. So I want you to hear Right, as we've been studying with our kiddos, right, the big idea, talking about what will heaven be like. That's kind of what you're wrestling with. So if you have some younger kids in the gospel project, they're they're dealing with heaven and what's going to come and it's going to be the glory of Christ being revealed and that we will live with him forever. Matthew twenty four is showing us that as it comes to the end. So I want to encourage you today. Right, so let's look to it again as we answer these questions, or as Jesus answers the questions of when will the end of the world come, right? When this destruction of Jerusalem specifically And what will be the sign of Christ coming? So when and what? This is the answering of that by Christ himself as we deal with the question, when will the world end? The first thing we have is the first kind of 1 through 14 warnings that the end is coming. It's kind of a general picture, right? Christ going to get more specific as we come to verse 15. But in the first 14 verses, right, he's talking about, and and the reality is now we understand it's at least 2,000 years. Maybe much longer than that. We don't know, but at least it's been 2,000 years that Christ is talking about how these warnings that the end is coming. So let's look at a couple warnings that Christ gives us to say, hey, if you see these things, know the end is coming. All right, and so I think four of them maybe stand out. I'll I'll give those to you today. Um, The first is this. There's going to be false Christ and false prophets. Signs that the end of the world is coming, there's going to be false Christ and false prophets. Let's pick up at verse 5, then we'll see verse 11 and verse 24. Look what he says. And Jesus answered in verse 4. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many what? Astray. Stay with me. Come on. Verse 24, 
And false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead what? Astray, if possible, even the elect. All right, so this theme is jumping out, right? Repetition of words is important. But look what he says. Jesus warns first, says, see that no one leads you astray. And he says further again, verse 5, there's going to be many that will be led astray. Verse 11, there are going to be false prophets that will lead many astray. And then further in verse 24, it talks about the determination, right, that even the elect might be led astray, right? And so he gives us these warnings, these consequences. Notice what he says here too, though, and the importance of it. He says that there could be, verse 5, many led astray. Verse 11, again, many led astray, right? The warning even of God's elect, God's people, right? They are real danger. And the question would be, how in the world are people going to be deceived like that? Right? Like, how is it going to be that deceptive? Well, look what he says in verse 24. I think it gives us at least a clue to it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform what, church? Great signs and what? Wonders. Right? And look what he says there. So as to. Right? So this this performing of the signs and wonders, right, leads to this being led astray. Right? So why are so many people deceived? Well, there's going to be great signs and wonders. But the reality is that's happening even today. Maybe not in the way in which maybe as it comes toward the end, as we see great things happening, thinking, well, man, if they're doing that, they must be of God. Right? But we see it even today, right, of just different signs and wonders or, man, the fact is all these people are following them and everybody's amen in what they say and they're filling up large auditoriums and that there's, there's, there's people talking about miracles being performed and, and different things, right? The truth is they are everywhere. And Jesus says, listen, as you see the end coming, I want you to know that false Christ and false prophets, people even claiming to be Christ himself. But the hope that we have, right, is the reminder, as we've been talking with our kids in Sunday school, Philippians 1 and 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto what? Completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. As John 10 says, that that the Lord, who is greater than all, who holds us in his hand, says no one's able to snatch or no one's able to pluck you out of my hand. There is the work of the Lord that is protecting his people. But Christ clearly says, as you see false Christ and false prophets arising, leading many astray, know that it's a sign of the end. Secondly, another sign of the end, he says, there is going to be wars and famines and earthquakes. Look what he says, verse 6. And you will hear of wars, right, and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus speaks of wars and famines and earthquakes, right? This, uh, this imagery of the beginning, notice that imagery of the beginning of the birth pains, right? That imagery is full from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah. They use that type of terminology of a woman being in pain to indicate great suffering and judgment. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to know, right, that these are just a reminder, right? But the end is not yet. These things, as you see them happening... It's a reminder the end is coming, but it's not yet here. It's like a woman that's in labor, right? Those pains begin to come on, and you realize the birth is coming, but it's not yet here. Jesus says when you see the world around you, and you see famines and earthquakes and wars and nations scheming and planning against one another, he says, know that it is a pointer saying this world will not last forever. And maybe that's one thing I just want to say to you today clearly. This world will not last forever. Forever. 
And so if your hope and joy is in the things of this world, I want you to know that it is a fleeting pleasure. It will be gone. Right? I, I, I've been hearing, as I study this text, I'm just hearing the Spirit echoing in my heart and mind the words of Jesus in Luke when he speaks of the rich man who says, listen, I, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I'm going to build a bigger homes and I'm going to do all these things and, and just live for this world. That's what he's saying. And Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. This very night. Jesus was warning us, saying, guys, do not live for the pleasure of this world. So when you see these things happening, Jesus says again, it's a reminder that the end is coming. A third characteristic is we're going to see persecution breaking forth. Look at verses 9 through 13. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Right? Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this very verse, right? Hated for the sake of the name, suffering for the sake of the name. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Notice what Jesus says here. He says that there's going to be tribulation, right? There are going to be people being put to death, right? See that statement there? You're going to be hated by all nations. Notice that many will fall away. There's going to be betrayal of one another. There's going to be hatred of one another. There'll be false prophets leading people astray. Notice the increase there of lawlessness. And because lawlessness increases, the result of that is what? It says that, guess what? It says that the love of many will grow cold. The truth is, right, when you think about this tribulation and being put to death and hated by all nations... All, history records for us that all but one of the 12 disciples, John, he's the only one, right, who does not die for his faith, right? We obviously have Judas who hangs himself and steps off the scene, but history records for us, again, that the disciples, these who follow Jesus, all experience death for following Christ, right? Notice that the persecution is coming, and watch what happens. It says in verse 10, and then many will fall away. Why are they falling away? Because there's, there's hatred, there's persecution, there's death. It's costing them their jobs, their lives. It's too costly. They want the things of the world more than the things of Christ. Might we hear Moses saying to us in Hebrews 11 that he chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but instead he considered the sake of God, the sake of Christ, of more worth than the things of this earth. Why do you tell us today in Hebrews 11, hold fast, hold fast, but again, there's people falling away. They're betraying one another. They're hating one another. Notice what else he says there in verse 12. Lawlessness will be increased as the end comes. There's going to become more and more lawlessness. And watch what happens as a result of that. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. Some of you are probably saying, dude, open your eyes. That's happening right before our eyes. And Jesus would say, yes. And so let it be a reminder to you that the end is coming. As you see people in our nation dividing and I don't think we should be shocked by that. But I think the scarier thing is, is how much we've seen the church dividing. Dividing over whether it's masks or vaccines or how we handle this or that. Guys, we are the people of God who live different than the culture and the world around us. That's going to happen in your jobs. That's going to happen in our community. That's going to happen in the light of government and things. But we as the church, it's different here. As we've been studying with our kiddos this morning, it is God who has made us the children of God. We are a family. Look around. 
Those that are in Christ in this room are your brothers and sisters whom you will spend all eternity with. The reality is for some of you, like it is for me, the truth is you have more brothers and sisters in this room than you do outside in your families because so many of them are lost. Beloved, let us be on guard and let the love of Christ empower us. So might I ask today, has your love grown cold? Has your desire to come here and to gather with the church on Sunday mornings, has, has, is it lessened? Is it cold? You're like, man, it's Sunday already? Do you long to spend time in God's Word and prayer just alone with Him day by day? Or has that grown cold? Do you find when you hear about opportunities, whether it's VBS or Oklahoma or Changers or on our back to school or, or door to door or opportunities to serve, do you find that you just look for reasons or excuses why you can't? Has your love grown cold? I compel us today to let this be a warning to the church to return as Jesus says to the church in Revelation Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works you have done at first. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Return. And one of the things I love, man, I love when he speaks to the church. He says, you think that you have everything, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And yet to that church, this is what's so compelling to my heart because there's so many times I get it wrong. It's so compelling that it's to that church that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. They're getting it wrong. They don't think they have any need of him, but he does not throw in the towel. He says, I want you to know that I'm here, that I'm willing to restore our fellowship and relationship. My grace and my mercy is greater than you've ever imagined. What a hope to the church. This is our God. But Jesus warns that persecution is coming, and it's a sign of the end of the world. The fourth sign of the end of the world here is that the proclamation of the gospel we made to all nations look what he says in verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and no such statement and then what church the end will come so this gospel right is going to be proclaimed to the nations right to the whole world right to all people groups right to the nations I want to remind you, I showed you this a few weeks ago, but reminder of this imagery, right? So when you see, I know it may be a little bit challenging to see, but if you see green dots, right, that, those are people groups that are represented that have been reached with the gospel. That indicates that there's more than at least 2% of the population that has evangelical presence of people teaching, preaching, sharing the gospel. So the green dots represent that, right? So you have about 12,000 people group on the face of the earth representing 7.89 billion people. But when you start to look eastward, right across the globe, and you start to zoom in a little bit more, you start to see more orange and red. The orange is representing people groups, right, that have less than 2% of the population there who are Christian. The reality is, yes, there is some Christian presence, but unless there are more missionaries and more who go to take the gospel to those lands, there are people dying without the gospel. And then if you zoom in more eastward, right, let's just be honest, more toward Asia, the Middle East, what you begin to see is more and more red dots. Those red dots represent people groups, thousands of people who have no one to tell them about Jesus. I'm trusting that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is going to raise up some of us to go. 
Jesus says that this will actually be a part of how the end of the world comes, is that people like you and I leave our homes and our lands and our churches and our families, and we go to the nations. And some of you are thinking, that could never be me. And what I would say is, God loves to work with people like that, who think there's no way that could ever be them. They would never be good enough. They don't know enough. They're not smart enough. They don't that's what 1 Corinthians 1 says, right? Consider what you were when you were called. Not many were wise. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Not many were the, uh, like the, the man, this. But God chose the, the weak to shame the strong. He chose the poor to shame the rich. God delights in working in people like you and I. But guys, a part of how the end of the world comes is that people like us take the gospel to the nations. And Jesus says that. I want to warn you this morning that back in 1978, right? I don't know how many of you were alive then, but the Jonestown massacre that happened, right? As he led people astray. They drank the, the cyanide lace Kool-Aid. These people were following him, right? It started out maybe as just teaching the Bible, but soon he became this Christ-like figure to them. Folks, listen, 900 people died, but these folks were so deceived that 300 children died. Let's be honest in this room. I mean, when you think about the love that you have for someone, the love you have for your children, can you imagine being so deceived, following this man, that you're willing to give to your children cyanide-laced Kool-Aid to drink and die? Guys, I'm saying that as a warning, that this deception is real. And I want to compel you with everything in me to hold fast to these Scriptures, to train your children in the truth of the Gospel that you have a responsibility as a church to make sure that what's being preached from this pulpit is the true Word of God. That is the responsibility of the church. Guys, we must be guarded and warned of the dangers of deception as the end comes. Jesus says it will only increase. Now again, Jesus speaks in these first 14 verses or so about a general picture of how the end will come. And then he begins to zoom in more specifically. And that's where it becomes even harder and more challenging Right to understand exactly what's he talking about. Specifically, the coming abomination of desolation, right? And so we're going to wrestle with this. It's kind of a hard one, more challenging, right? There's more divided views on what this means. But let's do our best to wrestle with it. So let's pick out where here, good, verse 15 through 21 of Matthew 24, and let's walk through it for a moment. So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet who? Daniel, all right? So it gives you a little context. We'll come to it more in a moment. Stand in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, right? I mean, Jesus is almost his heart's breaking. Listen to what he says. For women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. So you heard again, he was speaking here about the prophet, right, Daniel. He he speaks about Daniel's writings, that Daniel spoke of this abomination of desolation. I want to quickly throw those at you. There's four different times in the book of Daniel where he speaks about this abomination of desolation, right? And then let's talk about possible interpretations of that for a moment, all right? So let's look at them really quickly, throw them at you. Daniel 8, 13. Daniel says there the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, right? This desolation. Further, Daniel 9, 27. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is end, till the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. 
Daniel 11:31, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall take set up the abomination that makes desolate. Further, Daniel 12:11, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Scholars like D. A. Carson note that this here on Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, most likely was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, right? And so that was in 168 B.C. And so he comes in there to Jerusalem, right? And he begins to set up this altar to the Zeus inside the temple. He does what is absolutely right, abominating in the sight of the Jews. He, he sacrifices a pig there on the altar. He makes it a capital offense to be Jewish, right, to follow the Jewish religion, right? And so in that moment, right, that the reality is it sure appears that Daniel 11:31 is finding its fulfillment. You can see more of the context if you want to read on that. But we also, right, so there may be a past fulfillment, but I think there's also likely that there was another fulfillment coming, right? And these Daniel 8, 9, 12 are a little bit more challenging to understand exactly what's unfolding. It's likely that in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. some of these words were filled. Why? Well, because about 68 A.D., right, so that Jerusalem is conquered in 70 A.D., about 68 A.D., historians tell us that Christians actually began to flee, flee Jerusalem because the Romans were there, the siege was being set up, and so this, this housetop, right, you hear that imagery, why should they not go down? Well, again, their housetops were flat on the top, and their homes were connected to one another. So literally, there would be an opportunity for them to jump from almost house to house, right? So you're almost thinking, some of you are thinking like Avengers movies, right? Like where they're like running, jumping, doing that, right? The reality is, Jesus says, the consequences are so dire, the time is so short, that you shouldn't go down to your home. Just get out of Jerusalem. And they did. They ran. They fled to the mountains, right? Think about the Maccabean Revolt, if you've ever studied much of that in, in history, Right, and so that's unfolding. But the truth is, is that while those events happen, right, you have the abomination of desolation there, Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 B.C., you have the conquering of Rome, or, or conquering of Jerusalem, and the temple being destroyed 70 A.D., we might also look and say, well, those are signs saying, yes, this is coming, but maybe there's something also more on the horizon toward the end. You have moments like Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, where it speaks of this Antichrist in the last days rising up and setting up an image there in Jerusalem to be worshipped. You have Paul saying to us, this is what he, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, this Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be whom? God. I've given you just three ways to interpret what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24, and they all have some validity, right? And so you can see how others would battle back and forth of exactly what's happening here. I think the important thing that always can or be a danger in the midst of studying the end times is we lose sight of where everything is pointing. Everything ultimately is pointing to the disciples' question, when are you coming back? So don't get so lost in the midst of it. I enjoy the discussion and, and the banner of working through different viewpoints of what this means. But guys, do not miss the ultimate sign. It's all saying Christ is returning. It's all pointing to him. He's coming back. And all these signs, whether 168 B.C., 70 A.D., as we look down the horizon, the Antichrist, the end times unfolding, the tribulation, all these things that the Scriptures speak of, it all points to the fact this world is ending and Christ is returning. You might feel like there's no hope. Man, this sounds dangerous and late. This is challenging. But look with me, if you would, to verse 22. 
back in Matthew 24. I'll read again verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And then verse 22. Listen to this moment of God's sovereignty, his rule and reign over all things, even the end and tribulation. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, God's chosen people, God's children, those days will be cut short. Scholars remind us, right, that, again, you, you might be wondering, how will this even come? Well, scholars remind us, consider even the last 100 years. Two world wars. Some of you lived under the threat of the Cold War and the, and the danger of a nuclear holocaust. You know that in the previous, right, in the 20th century there, there was more Christians killed for their faith than the previous 19th centuries combined. So it's not so far-fetched for us to see how we could be hated by all nations. There'd be so much danger and wars and rumors of war, how all this could happen. But Jesus says, guys, as you see all these things unfolding, remember this. Yes, it is dire. Why? Because if these days had not been cut short, no human being will be saved. The world would just literally kill itself, right? Everybody would just come against each other. But listen to what he says. But for the sake of the elect. Listen to this moment of just a faithful father. For the sake of God's children. Chosen. Look what he says here. Those days will be cut short. Jesus says, guys, in the midst of all that you see, we're going to come to it at the end. Do not fear. Right? Your father is on the throne. He is ruling and reigning. Right? He's showing us that I'm in control. The father is in control. But I think this chapter reminds us, guys, of the difficulty interpreting end times. It's challenging, right? I mean, let's be honest. Some of you have been wrestling with that, hearing those questions. Probably maybe it works, especially if you're a believer and other people know it. They may have been asking you questions like, hey, do you think the vaccine's the mark of the beast? Right? Those have been questions being considered. Is this going on? What's happening here? Are these marks of the beast? I'm pretty definitive in saying no in that. That's not the mark of the beast. But the truth is, throughout history, right, we know that people, even back to the disciples, were asking about questions of, when's the end of the world? Is this it? How will we know it's here? That's a real question that we all wrestle with. I think it encourages us, guys, whether, again, I mean, a few years back, I mean, I know right now we're dealing in the midst of this pandemic and the vaccine, but a few years back, the, all the rage was about the blood moons. And people were asking, are you going to preach on the blood moons? What about the blood moons? They're like, man, I, I just don't see it in the Scripture. And guess what? The blood moons came and went, and we didn't see a whole lot. That doesn't mean that, I, man, I get it right all the time, but I'm just saying, guys, the reality is we are all scratching and clamoring to say, can we find this? Is this it? This it? This it? This it? I think Matthew 24 reminds us, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of your faith. As things come and go across the horizon, just keep trusting and anchoring in him. Stay connected to the local church, hearing the word of God proclaimed. So we come now to this last question, right? Jesus, what will be the sign of your return? Right? That's one of the things they want to know. Jesus, what will be the sign? How will we know when Jesus is coming back? Maybe you wondered that, right? All these things are signs pointing to that, but Jesus gets even more specific to say, this is how it's actually going to happen. Immediately, verse 29 of Matthew 24, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So what we have here again, when the sun will be darkened, right? We have moments of that. Those are moments of judgment. Right? We see it in Exodus chapter 10 when we have the plagues on Egypt and there's darkness that comes over the land. It's a sign of God's judgment. 
right? That you have, you have bondaged my people, let my people go. So the darkness coming over the earth is a sign of saying, God's saying, I am the great emancipator. I have come for my children. Let my people go. And the church ought to say, Hallelujah! Come, Lord Jesus! Come, Lord! But we know also there was a moment when the sun was darkened. We sing and enjoy this morning about it. We, we, we embraced it this morning in song about the blood and the sacrifice. But beloved, as he was on that cross, the scriptures record for us that darkness came over the entire land. It was a sign of judgment of our sin being judged. Hallelujah. There was darkness, but on that Sunday morning, by the power of God, Christ was raised forth from the dead. The moon will not give its light. Look what else he says here. The stars will fall from heaven. Right? We have the pictures of this like in Revelation chapter 6, and it talks about the stars falling from the heavens, and some think that's a great meteor shower that's going to fall upon the earth and bring great destruction. Others, when they hear this imagery, they think it's more figurative and speaks of the, uh, of the judgment upon rulers and kingdoms being thrown down. Whatever the case is with all these things, we know that verse 27 says that when Jesus returns, it'll be like the lightning in the sky. You won't have to wonder. Right? You won't have to wonder, have you missed it? That's what Paul says when he writes to the church at Thessalonica. Guys, you won't have to wonder if you've missed the return of Christ. It will be obvious to everyone. Listen to Jesus how he speaks about it just for a moment. Verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So again, look what it says. that Jesus is going to appear in the heaven. He's the sign. And look what it says though. this moment. Right? This is, this is a hard moment. Then all the tribes or the peoples of the earth will what, church? They'll mourn. And they see the Son of Man come in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. You might wonder, why are they mourning? Because they're going to see and know for once and all that this old, old story that we've been singing and telling is actually true. There is a Savior who came from glory, who was born of the Virgin, who lived a sinless life, performing great signs and wonders, who went to the cross not for His own sin, but for the sin of you and I. And for all who will call upon His name. He was mocked and crucified on that cross and buried on the third day by the power of God. He was raised again. He was seen and believed upon for a period of 40 days. And then He ascended back into the clouds to sit at the Father's right hand where He ever lives to intercede for us. But He will return. And everyone who has rejected this gospel. Man, I pray it's not you. I pray it's not you. Everyone that's rejected this gospel will mourn because they've rejected the only offer and hope of salvation. Listen to the king returning. It says in verse 31 that he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. The trumpet is a designation sometimes of war, sometimes of gathering, right? Here it's being used as great imagery. It's just being called forth. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. The four winds simply just represent the four points of the compass. North, south, east, and west. From one end of heaven to the other. From one point in the sky to the other. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to know that this gospel that he promised in verse 14 will be preached to all the nations. God says, no matter how far you are, 
no far, how, how, no matter how off the beaten path you are, how insignificant you may seem or feel, God knows where every single one of his children are and he will gather them. For others of you, this needs to give hope because some of you, thank you. You have put on that uniform and you have bled, you have bled and some of you have seen your friends and your loved ones. Some of you know the names of family members who have died. And maybe not everybody was recovered. But guys, for those who are in Christ, I want this to give you hope that God knows right where they are. He is able to raise them back to life, right? When, when, when their body is raised from the ground, it's a moment of hope that our God is coming to rescue us. That as far as this gospel is preached, that is as far as God will gather His children. It is a moment of great hope and joy. And so I want to maybe launch out with four quick ways for you to live and lie the end. Just practically saying, Blake, man, this is a lot today. Yeah, it is. I get it. There's a lot to wrestle with. A lot, so much I don't understand, but I'm doing my best. But I want to just maybe to share with you four practical ways of things that Jesus says right here in the text for you to live in light of the end. Number one in verse four, listen what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you what? Don't be led astray. Right? It's easy in the midst of trying to determine all this when things might happen or this verse means that we just miss practical warnings like this. That Jesus says, don't be led astray. Right? He's warning them. Listen, don't simply believe everyone you hear and everything you see. Man, there are all kinds of great preachers on TV. There's podcasts, oodles upon oodles. You can spend the rest of your life and not even scratch the surface of listening to them. But Jesus says, be guarded and make sure that they are not leading you astray. Hold fast to these scriptures. And beloved, I want to warn you, the challenge is, as Paul said, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He said, and no wonder, for so do his ministers. Beloved, you must be guarded in what you hear. Check everything against the word of God. See that no one leads you astray. Secondly, look what Jesus says. Don't be alarmed, verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. I realize that's easier said than done. And we are living right in the midst of a pandemic that we had hoped was gone. Now we're hearing about a Delta variant and all of this, man. It's just hard. Sometimes you hear about wars and rumors of war and, and this nation possibly against this nation and what's happening. But guys, Jesus says that as his children, do not be afraid. Don't live in constant fear. Your father is on the throne. Might we need to sing to ourselves again as adults a song we learned as little children? He's got the whole world. What? Let's don't stop singing that. I've shared with you before, but man, it's, it's, a, it's a life beat to our family. Psalm 56 and 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I can't tell you how many nights I share that with kids. When they're afraid. I can't tell you how many nights when I've laid in my own bed fearful about things and certain things unfolding and what this might lead to. And I just sit there and console my soul with Psalm 56 and 3. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Jesus says to his church, yes, all these things are unfolding. The world's going to be terrified. But you know that your father is on the throne. He's got the whole world in his hands. Be not afraid. Be not alarmed. And for some of you, I, I want to compel you with this. But the Spirit just urging me in this moment. Be gentle with those who are. Let's be gentle with those who are, are right. Let's just be gentle. Walk beside one another in love for others who are dealing more with those anxieties and fears about certain things. Let's be gentle. Let's walk beside each other. Number three, endure to the end. Look what he says, verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Jesus was warning people about the danger of growing cold, right, of falling away. So maybe how might you endure to the end? First, I want to compel you, confess and repent of your sins daily. When's the last time you just got alone with God and you just confessed your sins to him? You said, Spirit, search me and know me, right? See if there be any anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When's the last time you've just been alone, just pausing away from phones and gadgets and everything else, kids, family, just locking yourself alone for a few moments and just saying, Spirit, search me and just confessing sin. And that same vein, right, James reminds us, confess your sins one to another. Who do you have that holds you accountable that you can talk to about struggles you're dealing with in your life? I want to compel you there should be someone. Secondly, again, if you're going to endure to the end, I want to compel you stay in this word daily. I've been concerned recently when I hear about the clamoring for signs and wonders and all these different ways of things that God will speak. Beloved, I want to be very straight and blunt. This is our burning bush. If you desire for the King of kings and Lord of lords to speak to you, it is through the word. Will God use other ways? Yes, but this is primary. I've been concerned when I hear that. It's the word of God, man. If we want to hear God speak, go to the word. Stay fast to the word. Thirdly, stay connected to the church. If you're going to do it at the end, you cannot do it. No man or no woman is an island. You desperately need other brothers and sisters who could bear your burdens, Galatians 6 says. You need people like I need people that can pray for you when you're weak. We need the church like Miss Angie said. There's just moments where you need to stand and say, pray for me. Thank you, sister, for modeling humility. We're not perfect because we're on a stage or we're teachers or we're handing out hot dogs or we're leading VBS or we're going on mission trips. We all got junk in the trunk. We need one another. Beloved, hold fast to the church. And the church is not perfect. Why? Because I'm in it. And if you know me, I'm not perfect. We need each other. Fourth and last, how do we endure to the end? How do we live and lie the end? Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom we proclaim throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Beloved, this is our call to go and to make disciples and proclaim the name of Jesus. Are you joining us in that? Man, you're hearing about opportunities. You heard about Oklahoma. You're hearing about changers coming up. We had VBS this past week. We have back-to-school open houses. We're going to be soon taking the gospel to every home. We're just knocking on homes here in Greene County, partnering with other Southern Baptist churches throughout our community and throughout the state, taking the gospel. But, guys, I want you to know that our primary way of as a church of sharing the gospel is not a program. It is the people. Our primary way of sharing the gospel is not a program. It is you and I filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, sharing this Word of God. Are you with me? It's it. That's our primary way, church. So I want to compel you to partner with us in doing that. And as you see the end coming, let it urge you all the more. Hold fast to the Scriptures. Stay fast to the local church. Share the Gospel. Let it urge you forward. I pray it will. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Just keep singing that song, Lord. All my hope is in Jesus. Lord, I thank you for Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, as we look toward the signs and the ends, I pray that instead of causing anxiety and fear or division, it would compel us further to love you and to love our neighbor as ourself. Strengthen the church this morning, God. Protect us from being deceived. Protect me from being a deceiver behind this pulpit, God. So, Lord, help us this morning. Minister your word 
in spirit and in truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.